Just a reminder, next week at 12.30 after the second service, I always say third, second service, 11 o'clock service, uh, we have invited the head doctor in the ER to come and answer your medical questions about COVID, what is going on in our county, uh, what is going on locally with us. And if you have questions, like you don't understand something, you read something online here, but something said completely different over here, she will be here to answer all of your medical questions. What we're gonna do is have you write those questions down. I will ask them the, her those questions because we don't want a free-for-all because we want you guys to be nice and kind. And if there is a follow-up, we can do some of those follow-ups. But again, I just wanna say this up front. She is not here to answer all your political questions. Okay, it's like, why is my employer? She is not your employer. So she's not gonna know, okay? But if you have medical questions, that's what we're here for, to give you guys as much information as possible because we want to be an informed people. Uh, it will be a mask event, so if, when you come inside, you will be required to wear a mask indoors for that, okay? Oh my goodness, get over it, people. <laughs> Golly, you guys are so, I'm not gonna serve anybody by doing that. Just wear your mask aside, ask your questions, you're gonna be fine. Golly, you bunch of weirdos. All right. Welcome to Element if you're new. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. If you're in the front row, they're actually on the communion tables if you don't have one and you want to use one. Also on the communion tables around the room are our sermon notes. They look like this. And what we are doing through these is you will get, as you walk through this, uh, five days this week, you'll get a question to reflect upon and then something to pray through. You'll also get a recap, a little bit of what we talk about today. You'll get questions to ask your friends or your family, your gospel community about. On the back side, you're going to get the psalm, and on the bottom, you get the verses we're going to cover today. So there's a lot in here. Uh, this is also in the U version, but I personally always like a hard copy, especially when I'm answering questions and writing things down, so you can grab that. But if you do have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion. You click on more and then events in Uversion, we will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get those sermon notes and those verses and those questions and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is Psalm 123, verse 3, and it says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would take us and move us to be a people who find our identity and our life and our hope in you, that we would understand how you've made us and who you've made us to be in this world, and that we would worship you first, and then how we live and serve one another would naturally come out of that. Teach us to truly live and be your people so others would know who you are by how your people live. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing a series through what is known as the Songs of Ascent. The Songs or Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 120 to 134, and they are songs that people would sing and recite as they went to Jerusalem in the Old Testament up to worship God for one of the major feasts. Now today is going to be a long trek to get to where we're going to go. At one point you're going to think, what is he talking about? We must be totally in left field, but I know where I'm going. Trust me. So that's my warning. You got to stick with me. The Psalms of Ascent, the songs of this, are the steps that we take in discipleship with God Himself. And so each week we're looking at one of these as we take each step of discipleship. So the first one we talked about is 
repentance. Discipleship starts in repentance, returning to who God is, who he calls us to be, believing his truth instead of our lies. Then that moves into trusting who God is. We trust what he has, what he has said about us and what he continues to do. That will then move into for us proper worship because our repentance and trust comes worship. And then out of worshiping God, that will result in what we look at today, which is serving. We worship God, it naturally results in how we begin to serve one another. So today we're going to look at the ideas of who God is and who he made us to be and how that in turn works out in that thing called service. So open your Bibles to Psalm 123. That's on page 332 if you have an element Bible. And I said before, the reason we're doing these Psalms of Ascent is I reread a book recently that was written a couple decades ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is all about discipleship. It's written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson took the Psalms of Ascent, and he took them from the Hebrew and put them into English into the modern language of his day so people would want to recite and sing them again. Now, doing that, though, the modern language of his day was a few decades old, so it's not as modern as it used to be, but I'm going to read you his version of Psalm 123. That's what it says. I look to you, heaven-dwelling God, look up to you for help, like servants alert to their master's commands, like a maiden attending her lady. We're watching and waiting, holding our breath, awaiting your word of mercy. Mercy, God, mercy. We've been kicked around long enough, kicked in the teeth by complacent rich men, kicked when we're down by arrogant brutes. Now, that can be taken lots of ways, and I think people today in a political spectrum on both sides of the aisle feel like the other has been doing that to them. But this is written by a group of Hebrew people who knew what it meant to be thought of as less than than everybody else. And one of these festivals they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate as they sing these songs is Passover. And Passover is a holiday that's celebrated in commembrance and remembrance of when God delivered his people in Israel out of slavery into freedom, from death into life. And to bring freedom to his people, God sent a succession of plagues into the Egyptian people before how they treated God and and God's people. Now, it's interesting that in America and slavery in America, the slaves in America, they read these stories of the Hebrews. And they, a lot of their songs, their spiritual songs came out of how they identified with the Hebrew people. It's kind of amazing how they took these stories and said, yeah, this is us too. We are crying out for help. Now, the final most devastating plague that God brought was the death of the firstborn, when God's angel of death went over the people of Egypt. And he took every firstborn male not in covenant relationship with God. How did you prove you were in covenant relationship with God? You would slaughter a lamb and you would put the blood on your doorposts or your door frames. Now, in America, we freak out about that because how could Mary slaughter her little lamb? That's not how the song goes, and we freak out about that. But we have to understand this whole thing was pointing towards what Jesus would ultimately do for us. As a matter of fact, in uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, John the baptizer sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think if people would have understood what John said there, they wouldn't have been so just flabbergasted when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We'd have been like, oh, that seems right and normal because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the Feast of Passover was this memorial, memorial event that God had passed over his people again to bring them from death into life. And these songs of ascent, as they sang this one, would remind them of this, that our God has liberated. We've been kicked around, but God is good, and he keeps bringing us back. When they cried out, the cry that they gave was not the reason they were saved. The reason they were saved was that God heard the cry. 
And God seemed to be the only person who cared. And I'm sure as they went to the temple reciting this psalm, they thought what they were crying out from and what they wanted. They wanted equality and freedom and restoration and redemption. And we have to ask for God's people today, do we still hear the cry of those around the world who are crying for those things today? Do we, like that. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> if, as long as it does it on cue like that, that'll just be amazing the entire time. <laughs> Many times we don't hear the cry. We don't. And I think part of it is that we don't have a proper understanding of God and a proper understanding of who we are made as God's image bearers in the world. Because if we did have the proper view, it would result in us learning how to serve one another and seeing one another as God's image bearers in the world. Uh, Frederick Bigner writes this. He says, if we are to love our neighbors before doing anything else, we must see our neighbors with our imagination as well as our eyes. That is to say, like artists, we must see not just their faces, but the life behind and within their faces. Well, what does it mean to see their faces and the life behind that? It means that we see where they came from, who God made them to be. And this is why out of worship of who God is, seeing who he is, naturally results in how we begin to serve one another. Now, believe it or not, there is a reason why God had the scriptures the way that the scriptures were written. You know, who knew, right? It is telling us who God is and the purpose for why we were actually created. Just before Israel is going into the promised land, Moses puts together the Torah, these first five books of the Bible, and there is a reason behind that. What God is doing is teaching his people to refocus on who he is and then who he has made them to be because they constantly forget on this journey. That's why we talked about a few weeks ago about remembering ourselves and repeating the things that God has said so we keep coming back to rejoice in who he is. So in Genesis, the very first book of the Old Testament was written, Israel is surrounded by all these other cultures, not just the Egyptians. There's the Mesopotamians, there's the Sumerians, the Assyrians, the beginning of the Babylonians, there's the Canaanite, and each culture had its own religion and its own gods. But the one thing they all had in common is they had this hierarchical view of how the world was put together. And the way this worked was you'd have the gods, and the gods were at the very top. Under the gods, you would have the king, because the king was like made in the image of the gods. And you go under the king, and then you get like the court, which would be like the politicians and the religious people. And then under there somewhere, you'd have the artisans and the merchants. But no matter how many layers you had in that, at the bottom of every single one of these cultures was peasants and slaves. They're at the bottom. There's always someone who was thought to be less than everyone else. Now, again, because the king is closest to the gods, he was thought to be divine or semi-divine. The king alone is the one who was made in the image of the God who created the king. And that is the dividing line between the king and everybody else in the world. Uh, the king is special. You are not. You are not, just how it works. Peasants and slaves were not thought to be anywhere near something like that, and they were actually thought to be made by inferior gods, so they were inferior people, inferior creatures. Thus, that's why they had the titles of peasants and slaves. The king was thought to be the only one through whom blessings flowed to the rest of humanity, and that's simply the way the world worked. But then God steps in, and he's like, you guys have got it all wrong. You've forgotten who I am. And in the scriptures, he lays out how and why he created the world. So Genesis starts with God creating and then ordering the world. What does God say at the pinnacle of this creation? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now that word man would encompass all humankind. You're from the dirt and I'm making you from dust. The word there for image is this word called selim. And Yes, S trying. He's trying to say Selim. I got it. Uh, Selim 
Selim is this word that most scholars believe was borrowed from all of these other cultures. Now, why would God put a word in the scriptures that is borrowed from these other cultures? Because he's trying to make a point. When every culture used the word Selim, it only referred to the king, and that's it. The only person who was made in the image of the gods who created him, and by him I typically mean male. In Genesis, when God speaks, he is first shown to be the creator, the one who has control, so he's a king and he rules by fiat. What does he say? Let there be light, and there's light. He says, let the land come forth from the waters, and the land comes forth, so he rules like that. But then there is this completely subversive narrative where God then says, I'm going to create all people in my image. He makes all people in his image, not just the king, not just the men, not just the Hebrews, but all people in the selim, the image of this great God. God created all human beings. God is shown to be sovereign and good and generous to his creation. That's a whole other sermon, but he's shown to be this. And so this statement that God created all men, all women, all people in his image should be the single most world-changing statement about human dignity, value, and worth ever recorded. This is why we must always go back to the gospel because the gospel teaches us what God did to rescue us so we worship him and out of that we live out as image bearers in the world who he is. Think about it. If, if people in the Ku Klux Klan would really think that all people are made in the image of God, wouldn't that not have to change how they live? Yes. Yes, it would. This is why it's so important to understand these things. This is why the scriptures, again, are important for for Christians to know, to read them, to understand what they really say, not to toss them when we disagree with them, but to come back and believe what they actually say. What would it do to the hearts of everybody in the world if we truly understood that we were made in the image of the great God who made us? And this is why when debates about slavery in our own country came about, it should have been unfathomable that both sides tried to use the Bible because one side clearly is demeaning the image of God in others by denying it. One of the reasons that God continually sends his prophets to his people in Israel was to call them back, repent, return, remember who I called you to be in the world, to be a blessing. You are meant to be my image bearers so people would see who I am. And this is today what pastors are supposed to do. We're supposed to remind everyone of the gospel, what the gospel is, return to following God, worship him when we worship him. We naturally begin to serve one another. Now, the word selim also is the word that they used to mean images or idols. So they would take whatever they thought their gods were and they cast them into stone, clay, bronze, or gold. But the God of the Bible clearly says, you're not meant to make any graven images of me. Why? Because we are the image bearers of God. That's why. That's why. He says, you are my image to the world. And when you're my image to the world, live that out so people actually begin to see that. And so this is why we don't make images of God. We are to live as God's image bearers. When we worship him first, it naturally results in how we begin to live out in the world. That means whenever we see any person on this planet being abused or torn down or humiliated, it should make us sick because the image of God is being desecrated. I know a lot of kids growing up who got slapped when they said the word God or God with the damn at the end of it. And the parents would go, I might have been one of those kids. And, and then they say, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Now, in one sense, yeah, that's using the Lord's name in vain. But what is really using the Lord's name in vain is when you claim to follow God, claim to be a Christian, but don't actually live for him. You don't live out as image bearer in the world while claiming to be that image bearer. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And so have you ever watched like the news and you've seen like a riot and people throwing rocks through windows or setting some place on fire or painting over something and somebody shopping? You're like, oh, and you're horrified. How much more 
horrified should we be when we see the image of God destroyed in others around us? How much more should we be? This is, we've been kicked around long enough. Now, I'm going to go somewhere with this, so just hear me out through all this. I was listening to a conversation last year with the whole thing with George Floyd and when all that happened. Now, did George Floyd have issues? Yes, George Floyd had issues. Every, you just have to, he is human. Everybody has issues. But before moving to Minneapolis where he was killed, he was actually offered a job through a Christian work program and apparently made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, his pastor said after the, that moment, George Floyd spent years trying to break the cycle of violence he saw in young people in his original neighborhood. Now, he struggles with addiction his entire life. We know that a year kind of removed from this. But he was looked up to in his community. And he said, his pastor said he used that influence to bring ministries into that community that wouldn't have been given a voice otherwise. These are outreach and discipleship ministries. Patrick Nagualo, again, his pastor, said George Floyd was a person of peace sent from the Lord that helped the gospel go forward. Now, there's all this political debate about this today. Oh, well, he was just an addict, or the cops, or this, that, that, that. Just set that aside for now. I want to go somewhere with this, because in this conversation these two people were having, one person said this to the other. What makes it even more sad is that he was a Christian. Now, I'm going to get, get to my point now. You're like, oh, finally, get there. Yes, okay. It's easy to get caught up in this type of thinking, right? But why should George Floyd, believing in Jesus or not, make it more tragic? Why would that make it more tragic? Is it because we start to think that maybe because he had characteristics that we would define as redeemable and good that we would say, oh, well, that shouldn't have happened to him. Oh, my goodness, he shouldn't suffer like that. I got to tell you, Christians shouldn't suffer. Seriously, Jesus suffered. And until we begin to be a people who realize it's tragic simply because an image bearer of God was treated that way, apart from color and apart from lifestyle and apart from beliefs, these types of things will continue to happen over and over because of lifestyle and because of color and because of belief. We will naturally want to separate ourselves from other people until we see what God has actually said about every single one of us. The reality is most people who are racist and judgmental do not think they're racist and judgmental. They think everybody else is, but not them. Most people who are intolerant of others don't realize they themselves are also intolerant of others. This happens on the left and the right. You should hear the people that I talk to, even on a given Sunday morning. I'm like, wow, it's crazy. It's crazy. I know people who think that they are the epitome of love and peace and grace and hope, and yet they want people on the opposite political aisle, usually whatever is the head of that party, to die horribly, painfully, and slowly. I, I know people who think they're level-headed and compassionate and able to fairly look at any issue, and yet they see people that disagree with them as shallow and short-sighted and, quite frankly, stupid. Think about the whole COVID debate. People on both sides of the thing look at the other side and like, oh, they're just duped. Oh my goodness, don't they read the news stories that are out there? How can they believe these things? And, we, and you just think the people on the other side are completely dumb. We all do it. And part of reading these Psalms of Ascent are meant to help us to see our own biases. Week one, repentance. We stop looking at all the lies around us and start to listen to what God says first over all things. And then we must be willing to be a people who in the end, after worshiping Him, that stand up for the image of God in others, or we are not acting as image bearers of God. We must be a people who learn to serve because God first served and loved us. And we stand up for, how, for others and how we will begin to serve them. Now, this becomes very difficult today because we have a very charged culture. And I may get in trouble for what I'm about to say, but we have to be careful about true service and true justice is today. We have to understand that. True justice that we learn about comes because of God's revelation first, not because of any human movement. And wrongly focused upon in the world, these movements start to bring more division and not unity. I recently finished this really excellent book 
on the topic of social justice, and it looked at it through the lens of the gospel versus the lens of humanity. And through the lens of the gospel, he called this social justice A, you know, through what Christ did to rescue and save us. And social justice B was about how our world tends to look at it through humanity. And as I went through this book, I was totally like, wow, this is, this is kind of amazing. The problem with human-centered movements of justice, no matter the positives that may come out of it on the backside, is it will always tend to uh, divide people into two groups, oppressed and oppressors. And skin tone and gender and economic and social status will grant you a welcome into one group and throw you out of another. If you, it, they will hug you and bring you in because of certain things in one group, but push away because, because of those same things in another group that's out there. And so we have to take seriously who God actually calls us to be in the world and how we enter these type of things. See, all, a lot of movements today show themselves to be radically inclusive as long as you believe exactly what they want you to believe. But that will never bring unity. How could it be? If markers that not everyone shares are the gateway to entry, then inevitably some people will be outsiders and some people will be insiders based on the perceived level of oppression or skin tones or genders or sexual desires or economic or social statuses. Some people will automatically become, in the eyes of those, less than. Some people will automatically be on the bottom tier as peasants and slaves. Now, the church has been guilty of that in the past, but every time the church does that, it is not following the gospel. And yet there are a lot of man-based social movements today that center on this idea of justice. But if unshared virtues and features determine the credibility of human beings, then we'll always count some people as saints and other people as sinners. And this is why the Bible's answer to belonging and unity is so core and important. Because the Bible unapologetically talks about our sin. Now, biblically, there is such a thing as being damned by belonging to a certain people group. You know what that people group is called? People, okay? That's it, people. This damnation has nothing to do with gender and income and national origin or the melanin in your skin. It has to do with human, uh, being a human being. The Apostle Paul says that male and female and rich and poor and black and white and religious and secular, right or left, stand united in the fact, Romans 3.23, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin has infected every single one of us from our diapers until now. None of us had to be taught how to be selfish. None of us had to be taught how to bend the truth into our favor. None of us had to be taught how to worship things that are not God. None of us had to be taught how to be ungrateful for what we have and want what everybody else has. None of us had to be taught how to push one another down in order to lift ourselves up. All that comes naturally in our lives because of sin. Many people today think a doctrine of sin leads to shame and it's terrible, you shouldn't talk about it. But I will tell you, if we understand this biblical doctrine of sin and Christ's rescue and being made in the image of God, the fall and God's rescuing us, that the gospel leads to the only community where we'll ever have unity and peace in the world. It will be the only thing that leads us to a place of peace and ultimate true and real justice. It is understanding creation, fall, redemption, restoration, God coming to rescue and save us again. It's the only way we will come to a place where we begin to truly serve one another. And if sin is our shared human heritage, we will see that those at the top and those at the bottom are all unified in having self-centered hearts. What if we understood the unflattering truth of our tragic group identity? We have all run from God. We all need God's rescue in our lives. We were made in the image of God. And if we saw that, we see evil can't be reduced to a color or a gender or an economic problem. It's a human problem. And since I'm human and since you're human, it's our problem. 
It's our problem. A biblically informed reading of history would tell us that we're supposed to care for the oppressed and the downtrodden and take their story seriously, but would also do something else. And this is the hard part of it. It would inspire us to see not just the downtrodden, but try to also see history through the perspective of the oppressors through that lens. Why? Because we can all too easily become the next round of self-righteous oppressors. And if we only serve one group and not all people as being made in the image of God, we will not be living as image bearers of God in the world, and we will constantly divide society. Too often today, people find humanity divided into these subgroups of oppressors and the blameless oppressed. That is not a recipe for inclusivity. That is a recipe for tribal warfare that will just never, ever end. So how does the gospel, what Christ has done, making us his image bearers in the world and worshiping his first, how does that lead to us serving one another? Well, the context is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all made as image bearers. We've all marred that image by how we have lived. Our same problem today is the same problem that's actually taking place in the early church. Now, church simply means gathering. Okay, it's again, there's people gathering together. So how do you gather people together from long and bitterly divided social tribes under the same roof to worship the same God? How do you do that? How do you teach people how to unclench their fists with one another and learn how to hug one another and embrace them as brothers and sisters? How do we do that? By focusing on Jesus and not upon ourselves. And I don't mean this to sound trite, but this is not easy. It is not easy easy. The second we live out in the world this way that God calls us to, you're going to get so much blowback against you. You will, but it doesn't mean that we stop living for the truth. It doesn't mean that we stop worshiping God first and serving others how he calls us to. So here is what the first century church did not do, okay? Did not play a game of grievances. First century Jews could have very easily said, look at the oppression all the Greeks and non-Jews have put upon us. We've been oppressed by the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And they could not even look at how they had also oppressed others when they had power. And they could have looked around and said, you need to get rid of all your culture and just become exactly like us. Paul never tells people to do that. He doesn't. He doesn't say, oh, look at the horrors your ancestors unleashed upon the Jews. Why? If he did that, it would demolish the gospel by giving people a way of feeling justified or free of blame based upon ethnic identity by being part of just an oppressed group rather than on the finished work of Jesus. So what Paul does do is what we must do. He speaks three unifying truths about made in God, being made in God's image into these communities where historic grievances could have just torn them apart, torn the body of Christ apart. So this is the first one he does. First, Paul told the truth that sin is not exclusively the oppressor's problem. It is a human problem. Now, when we talk about this journey, right, of, of these steps of discipleship, what's the first one? Repentance. That's repentance. Some Jews thought that they, by the virtue of their Jewishness, that they were better than everybody else. What does Paul say? Romans 3, 9, and 10. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. All the ethnic and group identities are, are out. It is, it is we are a people who must go to Christ to rescue and save us. Our, if we look at ourselves and just follow ourselves, we will be stuck in sin our entire lives. No religious group identity can remove us from the guilt of our sin. Only Jesus can. Secondly, Paul told the truth that being in Christ Jesus is a new identity that transcends all other group identities. What is that? Step two, we trust what God has said. We trust what he says first. Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. 
Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Where's your focus? It's that Jews shouldn't resent Greeks or vice versa, though they could have easily built an historic case for such grievances. Slaves shouldn't resent the freer because you could also build a perfect case for all the resentment that could be there. Women shouldn't resent men, though I tell you they had lots of reasons to make a case against those men. Paul says all of this us versus them thinking we must get rid of all the group divisions. All the grievances are transcended by this new group identity. You are all one in Christ. And that is the hard part because we cannot look through the lens of what has happened to us. We must look through the lens of what Christ has done. And that is hard for people who have been downtrodden and pushed around to set aside those grievances and start to follow Christ first. It is hard, but we are all one in Christ. In Jesus, ethnic enemies are supposed to become families. Oppressed and oppressors can become brothers and sisters. The third thing that Paul talks about is he tells the truth that God and God alone grants us our not guilty verdict on the basis of the justifying death of Jesus. That is like step three. We come to the place of worship. We worship who God is, and out of that comes how we serve one another. Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, the Psalms, really, well, all, all the scriptures are meant to be a reminder of this community that we are called to live in as a people. We understand that our hope of salvation is not based upon how good or smart or put together we are. Our only hope of salvation is found in Jesus' death to remove our sin-soaked, calloused hearts and his resurrection that restores us to new life again in relationship with him. Billy Graham once said this, all ground... All, what, what do you say? Uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all are in the same boat. See, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Because if we do believe that and we live as people who are restored, redeemed by Christ himself, we will begin to treat and serve others differently. How can we not? The community of those who understand that they are saved by God's grace alone will be the ones who have the power to see those with no power and say, oh, how do we bring us together? How do we live with one another? How do we worship all as children of the King? And as a church, as a community of people, Element must be a place where we long to honor the image of God in others. Psalm 123, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. So what do we do? We look first to what God has said. That's what it tells us. We trust him. We are called to be his image bearers. Secondly, we then as servants of him begin to serve one another around us. God has first loved and served us, so we love and serve others. And then third, our eyes go back to him again for his mercy. Frederick Buechner says this, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. What is our deep gladness? It's the gospel. It's that God has stepped into our brokenness and rescued and saved us where we are. And that restores us to relationship with God. That is a joy that we have. What's the world's deep hunger? to know and to walk with God. They may not be able to put it in those words, but that's what everybody is looking for. And so what we do is we take the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets, and we bring this together in how we serve one another. This is so important for us. Our gladness, again, found in the gospel. It goes back to God's glory, what he has done to rescue us, and that ultimately, in the end, we belong to him. Now, how does this work out practically? Well, 
I was talking to a friend of mine last year when I was putting this message together. I actually rewrote this message this week. I, I always freak out the slide people when I do this. But anyway, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, last year when I was putting this message together. And during, this is right after the George Floyd thing, and there was a Black Lives Matter protest downtown. It started off peaceful, but then the peaceful people started to leave, and other people started to come, and there were agitators, and all these things were going on. And at, when the middle of it, start, at the end of it, uh, things caught on fire, rocks were thrown, guns were fired. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that started happening. And so my friend says this to me, what is Element doing downtown where the riot happened? He says, my neighbors are all shook up. I've been spending time with them and praying with them. What is Element doing? And I listened to him. And I didn't just like give answers because he, there's a lot of emotion in that. So I waited and listened. And then I think it was maybe a couple days later, I, I then was able to say, okay, your Element. Your Element. God puts us in all the places we can be used. And yes, more people should show up in the midst of that. But that person on that front line in that place is wherever you are. The first responder to a tragic situation is right where you are because you're there and you are God's image bearer. That's where we are. And if we as element do our job correctly, we will constantly steer you back to the gospel. You will understand your rescue, your salvation. And in understanding your rescue, you will naturally step into places where you are to begin to serve. And yes, the larger body should come around you and help where you are. It should be a natural response. But wherever we are, we start where we are. That's what we do. The service in which we serve is right where we are. When it says this, oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens or heaven-dwelling God, that's not about geography. Okay? That's not about where God's located in space. The biblical writers aren't geographers or astronomers. They are prophets and priests and poets and theologians. And what we're being told is that God is secure where he is. And because he is secure, then our life can be lived out exactly where we are in the real world honoring him. We are a people who are meant to look to the one true God in the midst of chaos, and that God comes and he equips us to be a people who can serve one another because, again, he first served and loved us. God is the one who calls all people, not just the Hebrews, to be his image bearers again. And ultimately at the cross of Calvary is where this is made a reality. We understand that this happens from God's leading where we look up to him. Peterson writes this, If God is worth our attention at all, he must be a God we can look up to, a God we must look up to. The moment we look up to God and not over at him or down at him, we are in the posture of servitude. And as servants, we serve him as peacemakers in the world. We call people to understand what we know. We speak about our deep gladness in the place where their longing is who they're made to be, who God is, and who and how God made them. This is why we start in repentance and trust and worship that leads into service. And sometimes, again, that service is very hard to do. It's hard to be a people in the midst of everything that the world throws at you, to stay understanding that even that person who is in your face or denying everything you believe is still made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that you can't argue. It doesn't mean that you can't say what the truth is. But there is a difference in how we will do that if we see them as someone who is lost and broken. And that's what we must see. Made in the image of God, we've all marred the image. We're all part of the same group who has messed everything up, that group called people. And that God stepped into where we are to rescue and save us. And so my call for you today in this next step of discipleship is learn how to serve by seeing not just who God made you to be, but who God made those around us who are completely lost to be as well. So we would step into those places and live the gospel that God calls us to. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you guys to take communion. Communion is a great place today to remember who God made you to be, 
Who is he? The God that has rescued you. How did he rescue you? He stepped into the places that we are. Jesus dies. That's why you break that cracker. His blood is shed. That's why you drink the grape juice. It's a reminder of his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us. We could not rescue and save ourselves. It just could not and would not happen. And so God steps in to the places that we could not and rescues and saves us. That's what we remember at communion. But in that, you remember, God is restoring me to be his image bearer in the world. So God, teach me how to live that out in the world around me. So what I do would glorify and honor you in all things. And again, I'll tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy. But I will tell you, it is the calling that God has set us upon, and there will be great joy when we trust God in it. Uh, if you need prayer, maybe you're in a place that's like, I don't understand how to do this. I'm just mad at everybody or everybody's mad at me. I don't know how to get past what has happened to me and, and see the goodness of the gospel. We'd love to be able to pray with you. Uh, grab some at the Welcome Center. They will connect you with somebody and we will sit down and talk and pray with you this morning so you can understand what redemption and restoration looks like that you are invited to really the most inclusive community and that is the one of Christ who calls all people to himself. One all people to worship God and who he is so we would live in joy and freedom and hope and grace. We get to be the people who proclaim that to the world. And we are also people who give because God gave so much to us. And so there's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And we invite you to grab those sermon notes and take those questions. And this week, you know, ask one of those each day. Pray through it and see where God leads you. Maybe God will open your eyes to see someone or something around you where he's calling you to step into right where you are today or tomorrow or the next day. <laughs> and you see it right there and you step in because you are being God's image bearer in the world. You are showing who he is by how you live. And that's the thing. This is why this has to come after worship. It has to come after we understand who God is and we give all of our lives to him in worship and then service naturally steps right out of that. So let's be a people who live as God's image bearers in the world, serving one another in this road of discipleship and a long obedience in the same direction. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take us today and have us begin to understand how we were made, who you made us to be. Because it is so easy to forget with all the things around us that seem to want to demean who you are and who you've called us to be in the world. And so I ask that we would come like that first step in repentance, returning to understanding who you've called us to be. And then out of that, we would step into trusting you because it's not easy. And in trusting you, you would teach us to worship you. And then out of worshiping you, we would naturally begin to serve because we want to be like our great God who saved us. We want to be those who reflect who you are to the world. Father, have us be a people who don't just make our salvation about us, but we will take it to the places where the world's deep hunger is, and we'd find such a gladness in who you are and what you've done that we couldn't do anything but begin to share this where the world's deep hunger is. It seems like throughout history, God, your people, as they live out as your image bearers, move into place after place after place, where they are torn down, where they are persecuted. And yet in those persecutions, it seems like your church just continues to rise. And so teach us to be a people, even in the midst of the culture we are today, that we would rise. 
not by showing how great we are, but by showing how great you are. Teach us to be those who have our focus where it needs to be, upon you and the hope and restoration that you bring. And as we see ourselves as your image bearers, we live out that way. Your ambassadors, your hands, your feet, your priests to this world around us. That you would be glorified. And that all the world be those who move to a place of living in joy. Because we come to a place of restoration with our great God. Thank you for being the remedy to our sin-soaked world. And bringing us back to yourself when you didn't have to. So teach us to live out your truth in what we do. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, Michael to actually close the blinds for a bit, just to give you a few moments here while you're not focused on everybody else. And just think about, you know, some of these places in your life right now that, that drive you so nuts. If you know where your great gladness comes from, how could you then step into some of those places where you are right now as God's image bearer? And maybe bring that to where people's hunger is. Are there people in your life that maybe you've written off that you could actually serve them as God's image bearer in those spaces and places if you're willing to trust God enough to step back into that? Ask God to show you, even this week, where he is calling you to live and to be his image bearer where maybe you haven't before. And then, as you do that, then take communion. And then worship God to some of these songs together. And then let us be God's people who go out into this world as his image bearers, honoring him above all things. Because again, he is the one who has rescued and saved us. And so we live as a rescued and redeemed people.